Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of Fantasy Romance and Romantic Fantasy. Take two on this. My internet like crashed and burned and Zencaster freaked out. Um, today is, say it with me, Friday. Yay. It's also happy release day to me. Um, very excited that Bright Familiar is out in the world today. Um, people are saying wonderful things about it. Um, huge relief. Just wonderful. Um, a month ago, we did not know. <laughs> I did not know if I would be able to say this. I thought I might have to push back the release date, but it all worked out fine. Maybe none of you lacked confidence, but I was worried for a while there. Um, so yeah, uh, delighted that this book is out. Uh, made my personal best on pre-orders on a book that's solo authored. Uh, I came within of the, of the anthologies that I've self published, um, three of them amid the winter sky seasons of sorcery, um, that amid the winter snow seasons of sorcery under a winter sky, um, under a winter sky was the one that got the fewest number of pre-orders and seasons of sorcery was just like, I don't know, not quite a hundred more than that. So I came within six pre-orders of the under a winter sky pre-orders, which, you know, for just me to do that is composed to four authors, five authors together to do that. It's pretty good for me. So, um, a new personal best celebrating that I'm super excited. Um, I did. So I recorded like six minutes, minutes of this already and my internet freaked out and Zencaster freaked out and it all crashed. And I kind of went on this whole, um, Mac and vellum rant trying to decide if I want to recapitulate it. I don't know if anybody would have cared. Um, I got there because I was saying that Smashwords sent out, uh, bright familiar as a hot new release to the secondary retailers, um, which, which is really wonderful and exciting. And I've never gotten that on a book on my own. I think, um, I've certainly gotten it for the anthologies before, but, um, you never know if that's going to make a difference. Cause it's just like their suggestion to places like Apple, you know, and saying, well, we think this is a hot new release you should feature. And you know, who knows how Apple decides to do stuff. Um, and the reason that I use Smashwords, uh, there's, there's a couple reasons. Um, but largely it's to distribute to Scribd and Apple, uh, because I cannot upload directly to Apple iBooks because I don't have a Mac computer. And there are all these people who always say, um, you should get a Mac computer, even like a refurbished one, just so you can open, upload directly to Apple by iBooks. And I'm like, you know, I just don't care that much. <laughs> um, the, the secondary reason to do that is to use Vellum, which is the software that you can use to format your own eBooks. And you could buy vellum for like $150 or something. And so the rationale is if you get into the economics of this stuff is that by the time you, um, got something in my eye here. So here I'm buying my refurbished MacBook that I don't want 
and the software that only runs on Mac systems, which annoys me because I don't like proprietary blackmail. They did come up with this workaround, which they sent to me. Um, I'd had a conversation with one of the Apple representatives um, as part, you know, part of being on Cephal Board of Directors, and they gave me this workaround link that they said they were using, but that they weren't advertising yet. And I tried it out and you guys, it was so much fucking trouble. I was like, really? I could, I gave up after a while. Um, it was like, so not intuitive. They, they clearly don't want us to actually be able to do it. Uh, so I pay to have my eBooks formatted and every once in a while I run into a self-publishing author who finds that horrifying. But I use Paul at BB eBooks. I'll put a link in the show notes. Paul's amazing. Um, he charges $115 to format a novel and that includes print editions. And I think the print looks way better. Um, you know, so it's like, you know, there's this whole thing about a lot of people want to be able to do everything themselves. They want to be able to, they're like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a DIY. I like do it yourself. And, and I'm a control freak and I like to control everything about the process. And I, I know I'm using my, um, making fun of you voice and I'm not really making fun of you, uh, because I totally get the wanting to control things. But the thing is, is that control is an illusion right? Where we choose which things we do ourselves and which things we farm out to other people. Um, nobody is completely self-reliant unless you are living in a cabin off the grid, growing your own food. Um, and even then arguably you are reliant upon how the rest of the human race is managing the world. And I, I realize that that may be an extreme example, but it's something that I find um, irritating about, especially like the libertarian types or the, uh, the wealthy who are like, I built this business by myself. Um, you know, I did it on my own. And it's like, yeah, but who educated your workers who, and I think Elizabeth Warren is famous for quoting this. And I thought it was so insightful, but you know, it's like who, who built and maintained the roads that your workers drive on to get to the office building that you probably did not build with your own hands. And even if you paid someone else to build it, where did the steel come from? You know, I mean, all of these things that there's layers and layers and layers of dependency. And, and I just feel like it's important to keep in mind. And I realize that for some people, this is going to be like, why are you going so into the weeds, Jeffy? But it's like, you can say, well, I want to control all aspects of my self-publishing business, but you don't control Amazon. You don't control the electricity that is provided to keep your internet on. You don't control your internet service provider. Um, you don't, you know, you pay someone else to grow your food and someone else to distribute it and bring it to the grocery store. And, you know, like maybe your spouse cooks, like in my case, <laughs> which for which I'm in extremely grateful. But the thing is, is we choose which things we decide to pay other people to do for us. And there's, there's no shame in that. That's, that's part of that equation that I talk about a lot, which is time versus money that you have to be really aware of how much your time is worth, right? So is it a better mosquito on my back. <laughs> is it a better economical 
decision to pay someone else to do the thing so that you can spend that time doing something more meaningful, resting, I mean, recovery, taking care of yourself, taking care of other people that um, might make demands on you that take away from your writing. Could you spend that time actually writing, people? Um, you know I'm always in favor of that. So it, it's something to keep in mind that yes, you can go to all of these contortions to have, you know, make sure that you have Velen and do your, all your own formatting and all of that. And if you, if that works for you, if, if that's a fast and easy thing for you, that's great, but it's, it's not actually writing, which is your primary job, right? If that's, if that's what you're trying to do as a self publisher. You know, it, it's easy to get involved in all the other hats of being a self-publisher. And it's important to keep in mind that, um, get, keep that equation in mind. When should you pay someone else to do the thing? So, um, I have, I have things written down, uh, to talk about today, not just about I think this mosquito actually did bite me rain rain equals mosquitoes so we're still happy to have the rain we'll take the mosquitoes if that's what's required i am um, we watched cruella finally and uh wow wow you guys i really liked cruella uh people had said emma stone was amazing she is um Emma Thompson, the double Emma's, uh, Emma Thompson was amazing. Uh, I think Emma Thompson's really incredible. Although there are other actresses who do this too, but you know, that she is able to play both the extraordinarily glamorous, um, model type and the frumpy middle-aged woman type. Uh, I really liked her in last Christmas, last Christmas, I gave him a heart. Yeah. With, um, Oh, I'm not gonna be able to think of her name. The girl who played Daenerys. I know you all are shouting at em Emily and some, Oh, well, I'm not gonna look it up. So anyway, I thought Emma Thompson was great in that as the, uh, depressed and fragile, frazzled Russian immigrant mother. I, she may not have been Russian. It might've been one of the um, other countries. And for that, I apologize. I just remember her saying to <laughs> saying all of my friends are dead. <laughs> anyway, um, she was great. Uh, and it's a fantastic villain origin story. And I loved the way that it is a female villain origin story. And, and I made, if you don't want to know anything, I'm going to go slightly spoilery here. Um, I thought it was a really good and interesting choice that they made it be that she didn't actually kill the Dalmatians, um, which I think was heavily implied in the Disney movie. I never read the book, um, if not actually stated. But in this, they made it be that other people believed she was so terrible that she would kill the dogs. And I love that playing with the, the perceptions of evil, the perceptions of, um, what is terrible in some ways it, it works with the idea in the same way that wicked does with the wicked witch of the West. In what ways 
are these people really awful and what ways are they simply social iconoclasts who are accused of doing terrible things by the people who don't like them. Uh, and I think we all can kind of sympathize with that. So I, I loved the way, I loved the evolution of her character, how she went from being this outcast who wanted to belong, who wanted to be part of this, um, I mean, and it's fashion, right? I, I guess I never thought about that, but of course, Cruella was all about fashion. And so they make Emma Stone's Cruella is wants to be a fashion designer. And so the clothes are fantastic. You guys, I mean, the, the looks are amazing. And Emma Stone's uh, character is like the, the Baroness, the, the queen of fashion design in London. And it's, it's, awesome and it's awesome how they play with ideas of fashion and um again being an iconoclast breaking up the old traditions of fashion and having new ideas of fashion and and so it's it's female in this completely embracing affirming way that you know it's not like being snide about fashion it's it's like fashion is art I remember as a slight aside, um, when I had my day job, I worked in an, in, in environmental consulting and my boss was a woman and she and I would encounter sometimes when we would be in meetings with men that they would lock us out of the conversation in very ways, they, various ways. They would like not listen to us. Shocking, right? So we were always strategizing ways that to be heard. And one thing that we noticed was that the men were always using sports metaphors. And it was funny because like even these guys that we knew very well, cause we'd worked with them for a long time who we knew like did not watch sports or have anything to do with sports. They would get around these other guys and they'd all start throwing around for sports metaphors. And it was like this, this secret language of men, 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 you know? And so they'd start saying things like, um, you know, I probably can't even replicate some of them. Uh, I remember at one point someone was talking about um, a wheelhouse, which isn't exactly a sports metaphor. It's kind of there. And she and I were texting each other, you know, on the side. And, and she's like, I think a wheel, because we, we would get amused by this and we would start making jokes, you know, quietly on text on the side. And she would say, well, I think a, a wheelhouse is trains. And I'm like, no, no, that's a roundhouse. I said, I think wheelhouse is like yachting. And she's like, what? None of these men go yachting. I'm like, I know, I know. Uh, so we would start coming up with uh, partly, partly to draw their attention to what they were doing and partly to amuse ourselves was we would, we'd start coming up with fashion metaphors. Um, so we would say things like, um, well, let's take up the hem on this project a couple of inches and see if we like how it looks better then. Or we would say, well, but, um, you know, is this a two hour lipstick project or is this really going to be one that would last all day through work and into the evening? Because if it's a two hour lipstick, um, is it even worth our time? You know, <laughs> We had the most fun coming up with these, but then seeing the looks on these men's faces as they would like try to grapple with what we were saying, you know, and, and then they would like inevitably come back with some kind of sports metaphor, you know, and being like, well, you know, 
is that the same thing as a touchdown? We're like, we don't know. Is it? Is it really? Is it though? <laughs> so anyway, I loved the the full-on embracing of fashion as a metaphor, as um, glamour, as a kind of communication. And as her character evolves, that how she goes from discovering that she cannot and will not be accepted, that she is going to be forever locked out of these erudite circles, that she embraces her outcast status. And in some ways, and the same way that Alphabet does, you know, like, okay, I am never going to be normal. I'm never going to look like everybody else and be part of what everybody else is doing. So I am going to, as the wonderful Dolly Parton said, uh, find out who you are and do it on purpose. And so she embraces who she is and she embraces being evil. And, and it's wonderful to hear her like take on these different personas and, um, like just fully lean into being Cruella DeVille, which is spelled D-E-V-I-L, devil. <laughs> it, it's just awesome. And I loved how they handled her henchmen of Jasper and Horace. They, they did a really wonderful job of taking some of these old and possibly problematic tropes, you know, like, like her, her bumbling henchmen that she sends out, you know, essentially her flying monkeys, um, and in, transform them into something more meaningful. It's just, it's really an, how you do an origin story. And, and I liked, I like Joker. This is not dark like Joker. This is amusing. And it is, um, has a surprising amount of interesting things to say. And, um, yeah, the, the little bit with, you have to watch the mid credits scene, uh, for those of you who remember 101 Dalmatians, uh, look for Pongo and Perdita. So I actually didn't get to everything on my list because I'm apparently yakky today. Uh, and I think I'll probably leave it there, but but yeah, um, thank you all for supporting the release of Bright Familiar. Uh, if you haven't gotten your copy, you can get it now. I really seriously, honestly will be sending out the print copies. Um, print copies of Bright Familiar will arrive on July. The Amazon's telling me July 22nd, 24th. Yes, I'm using Amazon for the print because, because they actually get it to me. Um, they are evil also, but they are efficient. The trains run on time. So <clears throat> I did figure out one thing about my shipping. For those of you who have been listening for a while, um, you know, trying to analyze where the pain point in the process was. And I realized that one thing I dread about the shipping is digging all of these because I save like my used mailing envelopes, but then I have to somehow peel the label off so that my home address isn't on there. And I don't know. It's, it's, it's a pain point rummaging in my closet. So I ordered new mailing envelopes, pristine mailing envelopes that will actually be attractive. And so that I'm, they're supposed to come tomorrow. And then I'm going to send out everything that I have in stock. Um, instead of waiting for bright familiar copies to come in. Uh, 
so that because some of you are still have <laughs> been waiting for a while and I'm really sorry so I'm trying to get better uh, that's gonna happen this weekend I really hope <laughs> no I'm gonna do it all right I will remind you all that first cup of coffee is part of the frolic media podcast network you will find more podcasts you love at frolic.media slash podcasts and I will talk to you all on Monday hope you have a wonderful weekend you all take care oh oh I almost forgot to do earrings oh so these are that we're getting into the pearl studs and I love pearl studs these are um, larger ones you could if you're on video you can see they're about the size of my index fingernail and David gave these to me for Christmas um, quite a long time ago uh, along with a really pretty necklace that with pearls the same size I don't think they're they're either not real or they're actually I think they seem like they're real um, but maybe because they're big they may not be like hugely fine quality because the necklace I mean they're big pearls too um, but they do taste feel grainy so anyway those are these earrings and I do like these I wear these a lot so but I ended up I went through this phase where I really wanted pearl earrings and ended up with three sets of pearl studs so for various reasons I will tell you more on that story another time so you all have a wonderful weekend take care bye bye.